Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in my prayer, please. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we just pray that you would teach us, that you'd convict us, and that you'd continue to shape us to look like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week in our study of Ephesians, we left off in verse 11 of chapter 1. And I will read verses 7 through 12 for the proper context, because after all, in these verses, we are dealing with the work of Christ. If you remember, I've reminded you numerous times, each time, matter of fact, as I begin my sermons, that this chapter, as well as the whole letter, has to deal with the Trinity. And at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 1, you saw... Paul first start off with the plan of the Father, and now we're in the work of Christ. And so Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 12, it reads, In Him, referring to Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. If you recall from last week, I pointed out in verse 11, where we left off, that there are two different views of verse 11 dealing with this word inheritance. One is, is just as the New King James Version states, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, that we get the inheritance. And I pointed out that biblically that's, that's correct, that we do receive an inheritance from Jesus Christ. However, there's another view, and it's best illustrated in the American Standard Version, American Standard Version and the English Revised Version say the same thing because they're they're basically sister versions, one American, one English. But in verse 11, it says, in whom also we were made a heritage. Same thing in the English Revised Version, in whom also we were made a heritage. So in, in this particular view, we are the ones that are getting the inheritance, that we are the inheritance for Jesus Christ. Honer, in his commentary on Ephesians, sides with this view, that, that we are the inheritance for Christ. And he, his reasoning on that is one language as well as theme. And I have to agree, as you read chapter 1, I think the theme that we are 
the inheritance for Christ is more appropriate. Both biblically correct, but what Paul is saying here, in my view, is is that we are the inheritance for Christ. Makes sense from the standpoint that we are his possession, that we've been redeemed. And the theme that I think is throughout the whole chapter is that we were chosen to be to the praise of his glory. That all fits for me. It all fits. And if you look at chapter 1, and you look at, remember we read the plan of the Father in verses 5 through 6, and it ends in verse 6 that we are regarding the Father to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us acceptable in the Beloved And then you look at the work of Christ, and it ends in verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And then we'll progress to that we're sealed by the Spirit. And in verse 14, as we will study that here in the near future, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are to be to the praise of the glory of God. And I think it's very important that when you look at chapter 1 and you realize that if that is the purpose, is that we are to be to the praise of the glory of God, our salvation then is something far greater than than our eternal destination. And as I've mentioned before, unfortunately, people focus on salvation as their eternal destination, but primarily our focus should be on the fact that we have been chosen, we have been redeemed, we have been sealed to be to the praise of the glory of God. This has changed in the modern era. The modern era says, come and accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you will get your ticket to heaven. And unfortunately, because the church in the modern times have done a very poor job in equipping the saints, that's all it ever becomes for some believers. That it's, I have been saved so I can go to heaven. However, I will argue that if you look at your life in the light of, of this truth, that we have been saved to be to the praise of His glory, your life will take on a deeper meaning in regards to your salvation. That we have been saved for the glory of God. If you look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the very first, if you're familiar with that, what is the very first question? of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? And the answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is man's chief end is to glorify God. There you have it. When you look at your life and you think, why was I saved? Why me? If you... Just look at your eternal destination. You're missing the purpose of God. You're missing the plan of God. You're missing the richness 
of your redemption and the power of God. Thomas Boston, in his commentary on the Shorter Catechism, brings up an important point as we deal with this idea that we are to glorify God. He says that we cannot add to God's glory, which is true. We can't do one thing to add to the glory of God. We can only declare his glory. And when you think about Paul's wording here in Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glory, what's going on there? I am declaring, right? I'm declaring, you're declaring the glory of God. I can't add to the glory of God. He has all the glory that he needs. I can't change his glory. But as we look at this theme in Ephesians 1, that we are to be to the praise of the glory of God, that is the primary focus of our salvation. It begs the important question then, how do we do that? How do we praise God's glory? And today we're going to look at both an internal way to praise God's glory. And in addition, we're going to look at a couple of external ways in which we can praise the glory of God. And in order to do that, the first thing that we're going to do in looking at the eternal aspect is, is that we have to have a correct heart. That we praise the glory of God by having a proper heart. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. This is what Paul is writing the church at Corinth. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit as a believer are a possession of God's. And so when you think about, do I have a right heart? In other words, do I have a passion? Am I passionate about the things of God? This was rumbling around in my head this week. And one of the things that I thought about is, is, is the model prayer. What's the first thing as Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? What's the first thing that you pray for? His kingdom. And unfortunately, sometimes when we evaluate our prayer life and we look at what we're praying for, we pray more for the things of self than for the things of God. If my heart's right, if my heart's right, I should 
be praying more for God's kingdom, for the movement and the power of God in my life, in my community, in my society, that shows that my heart is right. When I'm passionate about the things of God, I've often said that if you would let me take a look at your checkbook register for about 30 minutes, I could tell you what you're passionate about. I could tell you what you're passionate about. I could tell you what your hobbies are. I could tell you what type of food that you like to eat. I could determine what your priorities are in life. It's the same thing with us as we evaluate our heart in asking ourselves this question, am I passionate about the things of God? Turn with me to Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, Christ is dealing with the Pharisees. In verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered him in verse 37. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law in the prophets. Now let's think about that. He's addressing the Pharisees. These, these were people who were outwardly religious. They knew the law backwards and forwards, but their heart wasn't right. You have to start off with a right heart. This is reiterated in the 15th chapter of Matthew. When in verse 1, it says the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to your father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is the gift of God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I want to point out a couple of things about this conversation. What did he call the Pharisees? He called them hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. In other words, their life didn't line up with their belief. It said, but their heart is far from me. God knows the heart, doesn't he? He knows the heart. And here as he conversed with them, he said, your heart is not where it should be. And you're just giving me lip service. 
They draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What does it say about their worship? In vain. In vain they worship me. In other words, they're going through all of the motion of what they think that they should be doing. They are in delusion, thinking that they are finding favor in God's eyes. And God said, your worship is in vain because God knows our heart. If we are to glorify God, we have to have the proper heart. Now we're about to transition from the internal to the external. So the first one is found in Proverbs 4.23. 4.23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It is the source of life. Turn with me to Matthew 12.34. Matthew 12.34 reads, Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, let's go to Luke 6.45. In 6.45, it reads, A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. If I don't have my heart right, the rest is in vain. I won't glorify God. I have to have the right heart. If my heart is right, the external happens. The external happens. Have you ever met somebody that they had this for lack of a better word, a fake religiosity. You know, they're at church, they got the church face, they got the church voice, the church speak. But you can tell that it's it's something that they do on Sunday. It's not natural. When God works in our heart, when we examine our heart, when we turn our heart over to the Lord you will have the most natural conversation about the things of God. It will come to you naturally. People say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, preacher, I can't witness. You won't be able to help to witness if your heart's right. And it's going to be a true witness, a genuine witness. Yes, we could all this morning, we could go out and I could divvy up the four spiritual laws track and we could go out and we could go through those. But when you start having true conversations with people about what Jesus Christ means to you, when it comes out of your heart, 
what God means to you. God is at work. Get your heart right and the external things that we do to glorify God become a natural event, which leads us to our first external way in which we can glorify God, and that's through our lips. Now, you know, you might say, well, Christ just chastised them for being fake in their speech. Well, that's true because their heart wasn't right. But if your heart is right, God wants you to praise him. He does. And in fact, Psalm 50, 22 and 23 says this. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. God wants us to praise him. He wants that. He desires that. That we're vocal. Now, I've had people really struggle with this and say, well, I just just don't feel comfortable in being outward in my religion. You ever heard somebody saying that? You know the things I love about new believers' prayers? They don't know any better. They just go in with that heartfelt prayer and you hear a sincere desire to communicate with God and that is what God is after. He's after a genuine praise of him in his glory. I'll give you a great example of that as we think about the triumphal entry in Luke 19. In Luke 19, starting in verse 37, it says, Then as he, referring to Jesus, was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And look at Christ's answer in verse 40. He said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. He wants our praise. He wants it. And we should be living our life in such a way that we offer genuine, legitimate praise from our heart. I remember this story of Chuck Swindoll. He said people would bring their babies into the church and you know, people say, oh, that's, that's a beautiful baby. We all say that, don't we? And he said one time this couple came in and he said, it was just a really ugly baby. And he said, you know, I could lie about it, but that's not right. So he, he looked and he said, well, that's a baby. <laughs> we should be truthful in our praise to him. We should be legitimate. It shouldn't be one of those passing comments. That's, that's a beautiful baby. It should be true. We should truly want to praise. That's why we're here, right? 
That's why we're here on Sunday morning. We're here to praise the Lord. We're here to offer Him praise, to lift up our voices and praise to Him. It also points to a genuine relationship, a healthy, a healthy relationship. When we can recognize that He deserves our praise in our honor, in our glory. Romans 8.28 is a verse that we quote all the time. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I think we'll agree that we all love that verse. We use that verse. That verse gives us comfort in trying times. Because of all things. But the other thing that we need to be aware of in that verse is, is that God is at work right now in all of our lives. He is at work in every aspect of your life. And being at work, if we recognize that God is at work and he's using all things in my life for why His ultimate purpose that I be to the praise of His glory and you be to the praise of His glory. If God is at work, we need to recognize Him in that work and praise Him. I think we all can admit that sometimes we find ourselves guilty that we pray for something, we pray for something, and then God in His power answers our prayer And then we just glide right past it and we go on to our next issue at hand. And instead, we need to give him praise and glory, both individually, but also as we need to tell our brothers and sisters about what God has done in our life. I remember Gloria Gaither said that in the Old Testament, that they built altars of remembrance. We need to have those. We need to look back at life and say, this is where God was at work in my life and what God did in my life. As we think about the body of Christ, as we come together and as we bear one another's burdens and we share in each other's joys, And as we have life experiences, we need to share those with one another. This is where I was. I was in the same spot where you were. And this is what God did. Because what you're doing is you're encouraging your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in their walk. And then when God moves in their life, what happens? They they give God the glory. As I've mentioned before, I grew up in a church that had a vibrant testimony time. This is where lay people would stand up and say, this is what's happened in my life and I want to give him the glory. Why should we be embarrassed about that? Why should we be embarrassed to stand up and say, this is what God in his sovereignty and providence is doing in my life right now and I want to give him the praise and the glory. He wants that from us. And we should do that as brothers and sisters, whether we do it collectively or we're sharing something over the phone. God is at work and he wants the praise for it. 
Third, by our life, by our voice, the two externals, by our voice and by our life. Matthew 5, Christ in the Sermon on the Mountain, verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our life, the pursuit of holiness, glorifies God. If you look at Barna Poles, the Christian pollster, and I like looking at some of his work, and one of the polls that I looked at, it had the common response of why people don't go to church. And one of those common responses is, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And we could, and we could just gloss over that. You know, we, we could just gloss over that and say, well, that's just their excuse. And for some people, that is. That's, that's just their excuse. They've, they found fault with somebody that is a participant in the church. But I also think that we have to look at that and we have to take it very seriously as well. Because through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the indwelling of His Spirit, through His sanctifying power, there should be a significant difference between our lives and the rest of the world. There should be a difference And that's what Christ is dealing with here in the Sermon on the Mount. They should see our life and notice a difference. Are we noticeably different from the rest of the world? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're noticeably different from the rest of the world, you are going to lose some friends. And that will be to the glory of God. But you're going to gain some brothers and sisters in Christ as we are on a common path, a common path, a common mission to proceed in our life, to progress, to look more like God. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, Coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our life, in other words, our life, our pursuit of holiness is a spiritual sacrifice. Now let me remind you that in the Old Testament sacrificial system, did you bring your worst or did you bring your best? You brought your best, right? You brought the best. You brought the best animal. That should be us. As we think about, we have been put into, as Peter said, a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And unfortunately today, there's so many people that the church and God and doctrine and prayer, it's at the bottom of the list. 
It's if you have time when it actuality it should be at the top. It should be at the top. I said this before, but if all of America, if everyone who claims Christianity in America decides to come to church on the same Sunday, there is not enough seats. What does that say? It says for a lot of people that church and God and the worship of God is only when it is convenient. Let me ask you, who's God? Who's God? If you determine what you're going to do, how much time you're going to spend, when you're going to show up, how you're going to act, who's God? God said that we have been saved to be to the praise of his glory. And if we keep that in mind, we will find peace and contentment because you will be doing and I will be doing those things in which God designed for us. And it will, just as the Westminster Catechism says, it will be our happiness to be in the presence of God and experience everything that God promises us. May we live to glorify God. Join me in my prayer, please. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your truth. I pray, Lord, that each of us individually might evaluate our life and ask ourselves, are we living every day to glorify you? I pray, Lord, that that would be our passion. I pray that we'd be passionate about your glory. I pray that we'd proclaim it. And I pray that What comes out of our mouth might line up with the life that we live. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.